This is Jim Wallace for The Soul of a Nation, and joining me today is Adam Taylor, the Executive Director of Sojourners. Fundamentalism in all our traditions is a perversion of religion for the sake of power when religion wants to be the master of the state, to push doctrine and belief out through political power, to force people to accept what religious leaders believe. We see that in all of our traditions, Christian, Jewish, and Islamic. Uh, No, we shouldn't be the master of the state. We should not be the ones who control the state and force our beliefs on others. People are afraid of that, and they should be. We're the conscience, meaning to speak the truth to power about what's wrong and what should be changed. I love that distinction the king makes. Yeah, this is a quote that, as you know, Jim, I've shared many times, whether it's in trainings with churches about how they can put their faith into action and, and practice prophetic witness, or with churches that are very skeptical about being engaged in politics. I just want to give a little context about this actual quote. So King may have shared some version of this in other settings, but the kind of signature place that he said this quote is in a sermon called A Knock at Midnight, one of his best sermons. It's in a book that I know you've read and I I really covet and treasure, which is Strength to Love. And so he, he said the part that you just mentioned, but I went back to revisit it and I actually wish that I had also memorized the second part of the quote, which is, if the church does not recapture its prophetic zeal, it will become an irrelevant social club without moral or spiritual authority. If the church does not participate actively in the struggle for peace and for economic and racial justice, it will forfeit the loyalties of millions and cause men everywhere to say that it has atrophied its will. And what I love about the quote and now this longer version of the quote is that King is really challenging the very vocation of the church. Yes, the church does need to be about pastoral care. The church does need to be about evangelism. But if the church isn't also about discipleship toward justice, it is not doing the very work of the church. And what we're seeing increasingly, particularly in our United States context, is that so many young people are leaving, they're fleeing the church because they are not seeing a church that is standing for justice, that is doing the work of justice. And so evangelism and the work of justice are increasingly tied together now. And particularly in our current political moment where we see at least one branch of the church, the more conservative branch of evangelicalism in particular, it has become one of the greatest forces that is driving many Christians to leave the church and is giving a very negative brand of Christianity. So being the conscious of the state is not just the right way to engage in politics. It's actually one of the strongest ways that we can bring people back to Christ and rebrand Christianity itself. Adam, when you talk about the trainings you're doing in churches, you often speak of how churches think they're doing justice when they're doing social service. And as important as service is, and often it's the doorway, the gateway, to seeing why things are the way they are, uh, it's not justice. And so what we see now is you uh, just were referring to, you see churches who are supporting a president who is running against immigrants and refugees and dehumanizing and demonizing the ones that Jesus calls the stranger. And he says, as you treat the stranger, the word there in Greek, 
means immigrant and refugee. That's how you treat me. So he's doing that, and yet they're still trying to do some work helping refugees, but ignoring his policies, which make things make life more difficult every day and threaten families every single day, where immigrant families, many in this country, are blended with undocumented people as well. They don't know if they'll all be there for dinner at night. And so instead of these white evangelicals saying, we have to protect families, we have to protect uh, moms and dads and kids, and your policies are hurting them, or Mr. Trump, you can't put, you can't strip migrant children from their parents and put them in cages. That's against the gospel. Instead, they say nothing about that, as long as he gives them the judges they want for the Supreme Court. Yeah, exactly right. And just putting this in the context of the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday, I, I really fear that our nation has reduced the holiday to a day of service. Mm-hmm. And I believe in service. I'm actually a part sure. of a fraternity whose motto is, first of all, service to all, we shall transcend all. Mm-hmm. But Dr. King understood that no amount of service was going to dismantle Jim Crow segregation. No amount of service was going to transform our nation's laws to enable African-Americans the right to vote. And now we see that right being suppressed in states all across this country. We're seeing a rollback of the freedom and right to vote in our, literally right in front of us right now. And so I think this commitment to justice is essential because at its heart, justice requires us to get to root causes, to understand the systems of oppression and of marginalization that are creating the very need, the very suffering that we are called to address. And it requires us to restore right relationship between ourselves and people, ultimately ourselves in creation, which is particularly needed right now in light of the ongoing and escalating crisis of climate change. And so this, this commitment to justice is directly in line with Dr. King's ethic and is directly in line with the Christian ethic and is something that we really need to help churches better understand how to embrace it. The key, though, is you don't have to embrace a commitment to justice and then simply endorse a particular ideological perspective or a certain partisan agenda. We should be challenging all parties to remain true to core biblical values and principles that put the marginalized, the vulnerable, the least of these at the very center of our concern. Now, we can disagree as Christians about some of the best ways to ultimately care for the vulnerable, the weak, and the marginalized in our midst. But they should be the very center of our attention. And right now, they are so often at the periphery of our priorities, not at the center. You know, uh, both of us often do um, uh, addresses or sermons on the MLK holiday. And I remember often people accuse those services and those churches of bringing politics into faith. Uh, because King raised these issues of justice. It's actually not that way at all. It's bringing faith into politics. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because King uh, was clear on what you're saying now. There's a difference in partisan and prophetic. King wasn't saying just take sides. He did hold both sides accountable. But what's prophetic? Prophetic is to go deeper. Don't go left, don't go right, go deeper. What does the Bible say about justice? about strangers, refugees, uh, about uh, how the use of racial bigotry and racial division 
is contrary, antithetical to the gospel of Jesus. King would say that. And King also said that uh, the enemy often isn't the, uh, the evil, overt, racist people, but the people who won't say anything. Mm. They're moderates. Right. They're, they're happy with service, and they don't want to get involved in raising larger issues because they'll appear partisan. Often when you raise larger issues, you're attacked as being partisan. But there's a real difference in being prophetic and in being partisan. This, I don't want to create a religious left to counter a religious right where, where faith is wrapped up by politics and ide- ideology. We have to hold all sides accountable. And that's what King was trying to do with the conscience of the state, mm-hmm. not one side or the other. That's right. And I think there's another you know, dimension of being in the conscience of the state that is important and sometimes the hardest, which is it requires courage. It requires sacrifice. It requires often saying the unpopular thing. And, you know, there's, there's been a lot of kind of attention that I've noticed on social media about the degree to which King was quite unpopular around the time that he was killed. I mean, his disapproval rating was extremely high. Now, of course, now as we look back, his whole message and ministry and leadership has been very much redeemed, and he's now one of the most well-regarded, respected Americans of all time. But he was willing to speak out, as you know, against the Vietnam War. He was willing to make economic justice the next frontier of the civil rights struggle, which is why he was killed supporting sanitation workers who were fighting for dignity and a living wage in Memphis right before he was killed. And so he was taking on causes that were deeply divisive and unpopular. And so there's a way in which being in the conscience of the state often requires us to take very unpopular positions and be willing to stick to what our core principles are. Um, and I think that's you know something that we need to also emphasize in the context of what it means to be faithfully followers of Christ. He's looked back on in ways that kind of want to tame him. Yeah, that's right. So making MLK Day a day of service is a way of taming Dr. King. In his last speech, he talked about the giant triplets of injustice, and it was racism. It was militarism and the war in Vietnam in particular, and materialism, and what he meant by that is the inequalities in our economic system, in capitalism. So he was challenging the system, but we like to go back to 1963, where he talked about freedom and and civil rights. That was the foundation, but then he went further to critique systems, and we're afraid of critiquing systems still. So to turn MLK Day into a day of just social service is a way of trying to tame and silence the prophetic critique of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. of the systems in this country. That's right. That's right. And I think with this this quote of being the conscience, you can't be the conscience and be on the sidelines, or as you said before, to be silent. And there's still many churches that would prefer to choose the path of least resistance or the the kind of safe path of essentially being quiet, of being apolitical. The challenge with that is that the gospel itself has profound political implications. Following Christ means getting in the way of injustice. And I think Bonhoeffer once said that to be silent is to essentially be taking a stand. 
and uh, you know in favor of the status quo. And so, one of the things that you know we work on through Sojourners, but also the many partners, is to try to equip and inspire the church to figure out how they can speak out and speak up about issues of justice in a way that demonstrates the conscience, that doesn't get entangled in the partisanship and the polarization that we see around us, but is able to kind of unite members of their churches around core principles. And, you know, this certainly isn't easy to do, but it absolutely has to be done. Otherwise, the church will kind of lose that prophetic edge and it will not be able to serve as the conscience that we need. And what this means for now uh, is always the question, what would what would Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. say right now? I often ask myself that, uh, given what's happening in the news, what would he say now? And he really, I think, would articulate the politics of Jesus, if you will, as really uh, antithetical to the politics of Donald Trump, for example. And in fact, I would say the politics of Donald Trump are antithetical to the the person, the teaching, uh, what Jesus did and said, and what he meant. And therefore, uh, for example, white nationalism that Donald Trump is running on is foundational to his base is not just racist, it's antithetical to Jesus. So it's antichrist uh, to put migrant kids in cages, strip them from their parents, uh, isn't just lack of compassion, it's really antichrist. And to demean women and, and, and uh, behave toward women as he's always done, isn't just sexist, it's antichrist. So why can't we as followers of Jesus say this is antichrist, this is wrong, this is, this is not just, this isn't conservative, liberal, Republican, dem- Democrat, even left or right. This is facing... Um, an authoritarian leader, the Pope is called Donald Trump and others around the world as authoritarian leaders who are attacking immigrants and minorities. And the Pope compares this to the the 1930s. That's what Pope Francis said. This is what we're facing right now. Dr. King would be talking about the threat to democracy that Donald Trump really is offering. And he would call this, I think, uh, a matter of faith. Our response isn't just partisan politics. This is a matter of faith, and we're looking for courageous, as you say, uh, Republicans and Democrats and people who have different views on different issues about how to solve these things, as you put it. Different views on that. But to say this is something we're facing that is contrary to our very best. Donald Trump is the best marketer of the worst of America. There is a worst, and there's a best, and Trump is the marketer of our very worst, and he's showing us how deep our demons go. And so how do we, as Lincoln said, appeal to our better angels and not submit to our worst demons, as Donald Trump was doing? King would be speaking out on these issues, and it wouldn't be for him partisan politics. It'd be speaking the truth to power, being the conscience of the nation. No question. No question. I had a chance to reread King's final book, Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos, Our Community, and didn't know until I reread it that he wrote that book while he was in Jamaica, which is where I spent my winter vacation and it's where my wife is from. And he was 
kind of reached a point of burnout where he needed to get away. And so he spent a number of weeks in Jamaica writing that book. And I was amazed at how ahead of his time he was with his prophetic vision, but also his analysis. He literally talked about how the economy is, bec- is going to become transformed by the powers of automation, which is going to displace millions of workers. He called for a basic living income in that book. Um, talked about poverty again as being the unifying issue that could really unite people across many different divisions. And so as I was kind of reflecting on this book, and I've been thinking about this a lot because I'm, I'm writing a book, as you know, that's really focused on reimagining what the beloved community could look like for us today. And, and certainly using a lot of King's words, but also other civil rights leaders who spoke a lot about the importance and power of the beloved community. Beloved is a, king, is a word that certainly Dr. King, but many others use because it connotes a deep sense of brotherhood and sisterhood, a, a deep sense of caring for one another, of demonstrating steadfast love, refusing to hate or hold contempt toward your enemy. We see a huge amount of contempt in our politics right now, which has become such a corrosive force. Instead, Beloved says, even my political enemy is still someone who I should respect and should love. I can oppose them. I can argue with them. I can disagree with them, but I'm not going to hate them or show contempt toward them. It's also a radical commitment to inclusivity and to loving the other, whoever that might be for you. We've also gotten to a point where We've got a huge degree of hatred towards the other, the dehumanization of the other, whether that is the uh, undocumented immigrant, the person seeking asylum, the Black Lives Matter activist. You know, you, you, you can name many different people that have been made into the other. And so the Bluff community says, no, we, we can't be dehumanizing the other. We actually have to love the other and see the other as a, a part extension of ourselves. And for me, you know, beloved community, and this kind of ties also into m- much of what King had to say, is an America where neither punishment nor privilege is viciously tied to race or to ethnicity or to gender or to sexual orientation. And it's getting at the very heart of what beloved and community is all about. I think part of the crisis in America is a crisis of community and, and a lack of belonging. There's a lot of people that are replacing other forms of community with partisan attachment and loyalty as a replacement. And so, you know, part of the task in front of us is certainly to be relentless advocates and champions of justice. But I think we also have to be able to reconstruct what community looks like. What does the beloved community look like? And how do we work together to create that? And, you know, the church should be a vehicle for giving a glimpse of what that looks like. Unfortunately, I think the church, as we've been talking about, has become subordinate to many of the divisions and polarization that we see around us. You were the crisis. That's the word you used, and it's all over the place right now. It's a political crisis. It's constitutional now. There's a, we're about to see a trial in the Senate uh, for impeachment. Uh, it's a moral crisis. It's, a, I think, a spiritual crisis. Uh, and so I've been on a, on a book tour for a book called Christ in Crisis, Why We Need to Reclaim Jesus. I think I can hear King taking us back to Jesus, and he would want to respect the pluralism of our society, right. and Jewish, Islamic, uh, other faiths, and people of no faith at all. But Jesus doesn't belong to the Christians. 
and Jesus has somehow survived all the Christians, which is a miraculous thing. But I find people all over the country wanting to, and young people who have left religion, they're, they're all formerly something, but they want to talk about this brown-skinned rabbi who, who was, grew up in Palestinian-occupied territory, and his questions, who is my neighbor? What is the truth? These are fundamental questions that I, I can hear King asking right now. So how do we address this crisis at a deeper level than just politics? He would deal with the moral issues, the cultural questions, how we become captive the things that are contrary to our best faith traditions. And he had, he had the Bible in one hand and the Constitution mm-hmm. in the other all the time. And he was reading his Bible and reading the Constitution and reading the New York Times with you know, the newspaper and, and the Bible. And so how do we bring our faith to politics? It's not, it's not reducing faith to politics. Uh, that's what the people want to be the master of the state to or the servant. No, he says you've got to bring faith to politics. We are to be the conscience, the prophetic uh, interrogators, prophetic interrogators of the countries and cultures and systems in which we live. And we can imagine what King would be saying right now about how this country is being uh, really taken over by uh, by an autocrat who wants to divide us. And what you said about your hope for your beloved community book, it, you know, the question, the crisis really is, is there a we going forward now in this country, or is it all us versus them? The big elephant in the room is mm-hmm. that by 2040, mm-hmm. we are no longer a white mm-hmm. majority nation. We will be a majority of minorities. And that uh, where do we go from here book is preparing us for that. King, mm-hmm. King could see that, that we're becoming a diverse, inclusive nation. So how do we move forward and become a we? And Donald Trump is saying, no, I'm against the we. I want this all to be about us versus them. And the right and left can do that. King would have said, how do we become the we that's emerging now in America, a very diverse nation that could be unique in all the world for its diversity, in that sense, uh, exceptional, Mm -hmm. (laughs) if we become who we say we believe we are. King would say, no, 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 we are going forward together into a new nation that's inclusive of all of God's children. That's right. Absolutely right. This is Jim Wallace for The Soul of the Nation. God bless us all in this new year.